everyone who has tuned in today and thank you to all of you who have given us a feedback on your reading of the book of Revelation. Uh, it was exciting to hear that most of us can now read without the, the fear that the, the, the book used to evoke in us and that, that's really exciting news for us as a feedback. Um, that means to some extent the mission accomplished because we had clearly intended that in as much as there's a lot we could cover uh, eschatologically and uh, as far as various views are concerned, that was not our intention. So if you feel you are able to read and go through the, the book of Revelation with a sense of excitement and confidence that Jesus is good and we are winning, then mission accomplished. So today what we want to turn our attention to, it's the fact that while Jesus has won and Jesus has given us victory and, and, and he leads us triumphantly, he actually works through us as believers. So the victory that we have against the powers of darkness did not just end on the cross of Calvary, but it has to be enforced by believers here on earth. And this morning I was just um, thinking through, and yesterday I was listening to uh, Keith Green. I trust most of us know Keith Green. He's one of the most prolific gospel writers uh, of the, 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 the century that we have just left. He, he, he wrote so many powerful songs. And in one of his live concerts on the account of how he wrote the song, Oh Lord, You Are Beautiful, he says he, he was writing a letter to the Lord and he didn't know what to do. He could not post it anywhere, but he just put it in his Bible. And in this letter, he was just lamenting to God about the state of his own heart. He says, God, you have to do something with my heart. My heart has become so calloused. It's hard. It's not responsive as it should be. But I want to have a soft heart like the baby's skin. And he says he, he, he stayed up until 2 o'clock writing the song, Oh Lord, you are beautiful. And, and, and in, in the, standards, the stanzas that are really sung these, these days, he, he says, oh, oh Lord, my body is tired, but you keep reminding me of many, many tireless holy men, holy men who were tireless, who spilled their blood for you. In other words, ah, here am I, I'm complaining, my heart is not responsive, but there are people, predecessors, there are men and women of God who tirelessly, under all forms of situation, under circumstances of oppression and tribulation, who spilled their blood and went on to glorify the king. He says, speaking of his relationship with the, 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 the word of God, he says, Oh Lord, my faith is small and I need a touch from you. He says, your book of books lies undisturbed. Like I, I, I hardly get into the word of God as I should. And he says, and the prayers from me, too, too few. I pray less. I pray like someone who has it all figured out. I pray like someone who is self-sufficient. I pray like someone who has it all worked out and can do it by himself. And he, and he asks God to light the lamp of his first love, to Restore the passion for God. And it is to this condition of our heart that I want to focus our attention today. That when there is a lot that is happening in our lives, when there is a lot that we are dealing with, what are the first things that go from our commitment? What are the first things that we compromise? 
Prayer is one of those worship, our passion for God. Our hearts become calloused. And you know what this lockdown has done? It has revealed our hearts, how impatient we are, how proud we are, how arrogant we tend to be, how ungodly we can choose to become to other people. And so we need to cry like him and say, God, soften our hearts. God, help us not to strive to crystallize our ungodly attributes, our ungodly attitude. So this morning we are asking this question. How has believing in Jesus changed your life? And I want to pray first and ask God for me and for you. I've seen my own heart. I hope you've seen yours. If you haven't, I hope you will see it. And you will cry to God to help you to have a soft heart towards the working of his spirit and his grace in your life. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we thank you for Jesus, for the finished work of the cross. We thank you that we have been redeemed and delivered from the dominion of the kingdom of darkness and have been transferred to the kingdom of your beloved son, where there is living hope, where there is love, where there are victories, Lord, where we are led triumphant, where there is joy in abundance, where there is peace, Lord, where there, we live in a place of a covenant with the creator of all things. Yet, Father, we find our hearts wavering, Lord, wavering away from you. Sometimes we love you as we should, sometimes we not. But you have put us here on earth, the church, as your A plan to bring about your purposes. For it is through the, the, the church, your intent is that through the church, your manifold wisdom should be seen in the heavenly places all over. So Father, I pray, show us our hearts today. And according to your grace and your loving kindness, mold and make us once more after your will that we may bring you glory in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. So today we're starting to read from the book of Colossians chapter 3, verse 17. And the word hit me hard even as I thought about the state of my heart. It says, Colossians 3.17, And whatever you do, whether in word or deed, do it all in the name of the Lord Jesus, giving thanks to God the Father through him. Whatever you do, ensure that the glory of the name of Jesus is your pursuit in all you are doing. Do it all in the empowerment that comes from that name. In the same book of Colossians 3, verse 23, it says, speaking to the servants or people that work for us, it says, which also obviously apply to us as we are servants of God as much as we are sons. It says, whatever you do, work at it with all your heart as working for the Lord, not for human masters. In other words, in whatever we do, we must seek to bring God pleasure. And, and, and obviously, what we do will mostly happen in interaction with other people. And these people that we interact with affect the attitude with which we do what we do. And so oftentimes we forget that it is the pleasure of God that we seek. It is his glory. So what we end up doing, we look at these people and we think, I'll never do this again because of this person. But may we be reminded it is for the pleasure and, and the glory of the Father. In 1 Corinthians 10, 31, Paul tells us, So whether you eat or drink or whatever you do, do it all 
for the glory of God. I'm challenged by the fact that my heart has strayed away. It's no longer sensitive to doing things for the glory of God. It is doing things for my own comfort, my own fame, my own sense of pleasure. And I I find myself like Keith Green at a place where I'm desensitized to what God expects of me. And I find that a lot of people that we counsel, a lot of people that we talk to are in that place, in the place where they think, what, don't tell me scriptures, don't tell me this, don't tell me that. If anything at all, rather understand that I'm going through difficulty. But you know, in all these things, the Bible says, when our faith is tested, it's so that not only will we be strengthened and matured, but we will also be able to bear fruit that lasts and bring the Father glory. As a person who preaches to others, I'm an avid follower of Muslim conversions to disciples of our Lord Jesus Christ. And oftentimes, as I watch the videos of how Muslims are converting and their encounters with Jesus and how thereafter they leave their Christianity, I feel overtaken by their commitment and their passion since their conversion because to them, Christ is life. Christ is not an ideal just for which they live is life for them because as I had said before it is life and death to them and that's what it is it shouldn't just be the case with Muslims but it should be with any one of us who comes to Jesus and so some of the things I want to say today are just repetitions but these are repetitions that I have listened to Paul repeating things. I have listened to Peter repeating things and they say they repeat these things. Paul says, I don't mind writing the same things over and over. Peter says, I I, I say these things again because I want to stir you to sober-mindedness. I want you to be alert. I don't want you to lose your grip of what God has given you. I don't want you to let your guard off. I don't want you to one day wake up and see that you have deviated so far from what God had intended. And so I want to read one of the portions of scripture that Peter reminds us of the things that we are letting go, we are allowing to fall through the cracks in 2 Peter chapter 3. I'm reading from verse 1 to verse 18 in the NLT version. 2 Peter 3, 1 to 18 says, This is my second letter to you, dear friends, and in both of them I have tried to stimulate you to hold some thinking and refresh your memory. I want you to remember what the Holy Prophet said long ago and what our Lord and Savior commanded through your apostles. Most importantly, I want to remind you that in the last days, in the days that we live in, in the COVID days, scoffers will come, mocking the truth and following their own desires. They will say, what happened to that promise that Jesus is coming again? From before the times of our ancestors, everything has remained the same since the world was first created. They deliberately forget that that God made the heavens long ago. And by the word of his command, he brought the earth out from the water and surrounded it with water. Then he used the water to destroy the ancient world with a mighty flood. And by the same word, The present heavens and earth have been stored up for fire. They are being kept for the day of judgment when ungodly people will be destroyed. But you must not forget this one thing, dear friends. A day is like a thousand years to the Lord and a thousand years like a day. The Lord isn't really being slow about his promise as some people think. No, he's being patient for your sake. He does not want anyone to be destroyed, but wants everyone to repent. 
But the day of the Lord will come as unexpectedly as a thief. Then the heavens will pass away with a terrible noise and the very elements themselves will disappear in fire. And the earth and everything on it will be found to deserve judgment. Since everything around us is going to be destroyed like this, what holy and godly lives you should live. If we consider the eventuality of everything. So when we read in the book of Revelation, we're looking at the eventuality of our enemies. But we must also look at the eventuality of everything, including our state at that time of reckoning, at that time of judgment. So Peter is admonishing us. He says, if you consider how everything is going to end, consider also that you are called to a holy life. He says, what holy and godly lives you should live. Looking forward to the day of God and hurrying it all along. On that day, he will set the heavens on fire and the elements will melt away in the flames. But we are looking forward to the new heavens and the new earth he has promised. A world filled with God's righteousness. And so, dear friends, while you are waiting for these things to happen, make every effort to be found living peaceful lives that are pure and blameless in his sight. And remember, our Lord's patience gives people time to be saved. This is what our beloved Paul, our brother Paul, also wrote to you with wisdom God gave him. Speaking of these things in all his letters, some of his comments are hard to understand. At least Peter acknowledges that Paul wrote some difficult things. And those who are ignorant and unstable have twisted his letters to mean something quite different. Part of the twisting that happens is the thinking that many of us have come to rest our laurels in is that we can live unholy, ungodly, disobedient lives and God should just understand because his grace is sufficient. I wish we could see ahead what will happen with the outcome of that attitude. It says, just as they do with other parts of scripture. And this will result in their destruction. You already know these things, dear friend. So be on guard then you will not be carried away by the errors of these wicked people and lose your own secure footing. Rather, you must grow in the grace and knowledge of our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ. All glory to him, both now and forever. When, when I was talking about uh, the thinking I had about uh, the, the, the topic that I should put forth in the study of the book of Revelation, I said one of the things was uh, anticipating uh, the, 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 the coming, whether of the Antichrist or the, the, the Drago. But I, I made it clear that you cannot give a, such a topic to a preaching because we have no anticipation of the coming of the dragon. We have an anticipation of the coming of the Lord Jesus Christ. As we finished the book last week, Jesus said, I am coming back. Now the Spirit says, come Lord Jesus. And because we have an anticipation of his coming, we need to turn our attention to how are we individually preparing for his coming. You know, I, I am convinced that at this point in history, we are in no more danger from COVID-19 or the economic meltdown as we see it 
or the plagues or diseases, the pandemic that we are facing, all these things that poses less danger. And so we are in no more danger of these things than the very danger of our own unrelenting, unrepented, unrepentant, unbelieving attitudes towards God. At the core of our demise, it's not that God could not stop what would have come our way. God can stop all these things that are happening. But at the core of our demise is rather that we will not let God stop us going our own way. God can stop these things. But God has given us the will to rather come to him or go our own way. And we are not allowing his word, we are not allowing his spirit to turn us back in repentance to God. And this I say even to myself. And hence I'm asking, to what end has accepting Jesus as our Lord and Savior changed our lives? What is evident in our churches now is that because we have allowed ourselves to be the center of our lives and the center of the gospel, we have started preaching an us, a human, a person-centered gospel and not Jesus-centered gospel. We have created what I call divine anarchy in the church. One of the things we have entrenched is the don't judge me attitude. And this to the detriment of people living holy lives. This is to the detriment of discipline in the church. Because now, don't judge me, don't judge me. Why? Because I don't want anyone including God himself or his spirit or his word to reconstruct my destructive patterns to conform to the likeness of Jesus Christ. But the question still begs the answer. Will God change the world with unchanged believers? What are we expecting from God? How is the Lord changing our relationships you know, part of the sad things that is happening is how many relationships, families, friendships, marriages, work relationships, where we are involved as God's children, how they are devastatingly getting destroyed. And what you commonly hear is, I'm tired, I'm fed up. I can't stand this. I can't stand that. And whilst there is a reality to it, there is an unrelenting attitude to pursue our own will. So what do we want God to do? What do we want from him? Do we want him to understand that we cannot and we will not do his will or obey him? You know, with too many meetings and false preachers sprouting like mushrooms before lockdown, we faced all kinds of extreme deceptive practices. But now, with time on our hands, not to play religion anymore, we face the danger of Christian passivity and indifference and nonchalance. You know, we, we're facing unbelief. We're facing Christians who are like, well, it's not my business. And unfortunately, this is permeating in leadership, in personal lives. We are becoming more and more people with no strong convictions either way. And like in the Garden of Eden, the authority and the integrity of God's word is once more on trial. Is God saying that? Isn't God adjusting to the modern times? God's beloved institutions for the welfare of the human race 
are being downtrodden and his principle are, principles are trampled underfoot. God speaks of what we should be doing in all institutions that he started. But all those institutions where there's supposed to be godly governance, there's corruption. Where there is supposed, the, the, the book of Hebrews tells us in Hebrews 13 there, when you read from uh, four to five going down, it says marriage should be honored by all, but man, divorce is running rampant. Relationships are breaking left and right. You know, friendships, there is no friendships that are genuine anymore. Exploitation is on a rise. Corruption escalates even amongst Christians. The church has become a place with no integrity. The church is finding itself on the back foot in addressing contemporary issues because we have lost credibility. We are supposed to be addressing racism from a place of God reconciling everyone. But the church continues in racist attitudes. Gender-based violence in the church is escalating. Postmodernism is the order of the church. Bigotry in church. Church industrialization. You know, we are business driven these days. We are not Holy Spirit led. The world, as it were, is setting an agenda for us as a church now. And in accordance to what Jesus cautioned, if you, you read in the, the book of Luke chapter 16, uh, Jesus talks about a, a shrewd servant who used his master's money in, in, in a, a scrupulous manner, you know, to make friends. And Jesus, in, in, in verse 80, comments that he says, and the children of this world are wiser in their generation than the children of light. And this is pretty much where we are now. And that is not to say unbelievers are wiser than Christians, but it is to say unbelievers in the things that they are committed to are proving to use their means wiser to reach their ends. In other words, when you look at unbelievers, the things that belong to them, they are committed to getting them whatever they cost. They will sleep late. They will roam the streets in the night. They will not rest until they get what they want. I mean, take uh, for an example, the government put into place a ban on alcohol and smoking. And what? guess, guess what? People smoke, they make means to get smoke, to sell cigarettes, to drink, to go and sleep around. But the children of God are very, very, you know, indifferent to the things that makes us who we are. We feel no pinch in losing our footing. In kingdom things. Everyone is committed to their cause. However wicked, however extreme, however ungodly. But we are less committed. Less of being committed to the destiny we have in Christ. And so the admonition that Paul gives us. In Romans 12, verse 2, do not conform to the pattern of this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind. Then you will be able to test and approve what God's will is, his good and pleasing and perfect will. It's something that has become an irrelevant cliche to us that we are not, we can't even approach the world and say to them, you can't mold us after your likeness because they already have done that. We have no strong convictions about the things that we should be fighting for. 
And as we were chatted with, with leadership about the, with the eldership about the things we want to try and address, one particular issue that stood out is family and marriages. And, and, and as I put out about it, I'm thinking, these are the things we have spoken about, but as Paul says, we don't mind repeating these things. But, but then the important thing is to say, to what kind of hearts are we repeating these things? As I say, I find in my own heart sometimes that what should be changing me is not. One day I said I listened to my sermons, different sermons, and I thought, if I was the recipient of this, should I have changed? And I thought, yeah, in fact, you should have changed even more as the one who preached these things. And I'm crying out to God, and I say, God, change my heart. God, renew my heart. God, soften my heart. God, make this unrepentant, proud, arrogant, self-deceived heart to reach something of the reality of your grace, to turn it around. The reality of your mercies to work in my heart, to look at myself and say, I am not destined for self-destruction. I'm destined for God's glory. So I want to touch on these issues of family relations and parenting and what. And in the manner that I want to speak about them, I want you to be aware that none of what we say will ever change us unless our reception of God's word has changed. Our surrender to the molding and making by the Holy Spirit of our hearts to conform to Jesus Christ is complete. You know, the song Blessed Assurance, it, 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 it speaks of perfect submission, perfect delight. Unless we find true delight in God changing us, in God removing stubbornness from our heart, in us perfectly submitting to him. I'm afraid I can preach but remain an unbelieving preacher. I can remain an unrepentant preacher. In a similar manner, you can remain an unrepentant listener, a viewer. You can just simply, you know, have this thing tickle your ears and that would be it. And I pray that some of these things in their repeated form will somehow, even one thing, there's no point knowing 100 verses and you can quote them off by heart from memory when you can't even live one of them. You know, in the strictest application of who we are as Christians, we are people of authority. But we fail. We fail in application of authority to change things in our environment because we refuse to be under authority. As many as are led by the Spirit of God. We refuse to be led by the Spirit of God. We refuse to be sanctified, separated from worldly patterns and fleshly patterns by the sanctifying power of the Word of God. Peter speaks these words. He says, get up the loins of your mind. In other words, be sober. You know, they, they used to put a girdle, a belt around themselves and because they were wearing these dress-like robes. The Bible says, 
Get up your loins. In other words, take your robe, your flowing robe. Get it under your belt like, like, like Elijah did when he was running. He gathered his loins and he ran with the horses. So this is what 1 Peter 1.13 tells us. It says, Therefore, get up the loins of your mind. Be sober and rest your hope fully upon the grace that is to be brought to you at the revelation of Jesus Christ. So I want to admonish you to, to be sober, to be alert, to be aware that am I making this decision in the best possible godly form I can take in this condition? As a child of God, I'm encouraging you and myself, do not live a mislabeled life. You know, I'm reminded of an example we once gave in a sermon that under prevailing religious wars that are happening in the world, it is not far-fetched that as a church we could have gathered and be worshipping and be praying and some radicals who are anti-Christian drop a bomb over us and we all die in that gathering. And that act would have been done under the premise and the presumption that everyone who would have been gathered in a church form are actually children of God. Yet many of us would have died for the label of what we do not even contain inside. Don't, so let's not a mislabeled, let's not live mislabeled lives. Let's not leave Christian outside and believer outside. So I want to say, you and I are destined for obedience to God. Our desperate efforts and humanistic exertion will not get us, it will not get us the result we so desperately desire. You know, we're like, I will do this, I will do this, I will do that, I will do it this way. We're not going to get anywhere. We are not designed to operate that way. What we need to do is let us repent from relying on ourselves and surrender at the feet of the merciful high priest who identifies with our weaknesses, the Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. Let us put ourselves at the place where we say, Lord, I'm about to take the wrong decision. I have taken the wrong decision. Lord, I don't feel like taking the right decision. Lord, I don't feel like going the direction you want me to go. But I want to be able to bring you glory. And I surrender. Not my will, but your will be done, Lord. And I cannot talk into your context. You know your context, but you also know the state of your heart as you make your own decisions. In 1 Peter chapter 1, I'm reading from verse 1 to verse 2. I want to clarify and re-emphasize the fact that you and I are destined for obedience. It says, 1 Peter 1 verse 1 to 2, it says, Peter, an apostle of Jesus Christ, to God's elect, we are elected as well. Exiles scattered throughout the province of Pontus, Galatia, Cappadocia, Asia, and Bithynia. Listen to what it says. It says, who have been chosen according to the foreknowledge of God the Father, through the sanctifying work of the Holy Spirit, to be obedient to Jesus Christ and sprinkled with his blood. Grace and peace be yours in abundance. We have been chosen. And the Holy Spirit is working, sanctifying us. To what end? To obedience. To choose God's will over our own will. To choose God's way over our own ways. And so, I'm asking again, how has accepting Jesus Christ changed your life? How has it made you live with convictions even if you feel cornered? How is being a Christian affecting your decisions in relation to work, in relation to stewardship, in relation to money, friends, marriage, and so on and so forth? And so I want to then launch this idea of something that we need. If our hearts 
get to a place where we are convicted of the fact that we are destined for obedience. I then want us to consider to fight for the restoration of the family structure. Yes, there are many issues we need to deal with. And many of these issues like gender-based violence, part of the contribution is the dysfunctional family structure which we have allowed ourselves in the hardness of our hearts to deteriorate to the state that we are indifferent to what God expects of us as it relates to family. So I just want to read some of what God says. And mind you, I'm saying today, I'm reading these things as a repetition, but I'm reading them more aware, like Jesus says, I could be reading them to hearts that are hardened, hearts that are saying, I'm fed up. My parents don't understand me. They lived their lives. I am fed up with these children. You know, I'm fed up with my wife. Situations can harden hearts, but God can soften them. But no, no one, including God, is going to do a coup in the hearts of men. If if I'm enthroned in my heart, God will not dethrone me. I have to willingly step down from the throne of my heart and allow Jesus to be enthroned. So let's just, for this week, throw these ideas back at you and me. In Ephesians chapter 1, I'm reading from, rather, Ephesians chapter 6. I'm reading from verse 1 to 4, and I want to ask our young people, how's your relationship with your parents? Are you deliberately disobeying them, or you are consciously glorifying God in obeying them? It says, chapter 6, verse 1 to 4, Children, obey your parents in the Lord, for this is right. Honor your father and mother, which is the first commandment with a promise, so that it may go well with you and that you may enjoy long life on the earth. And then he says to, others, to us as fathers, do not exasperate your children. Instead, bring them up in the training and instruction of the Lord. We were chatting as an eldership the other day as we were praying. One of the things that really hit us was that Many of us have absconded now from raising our children. We assume just because we are pastors, our children will automatically love the Lord. No, they won't. They were not born to just love the Lord. We must instruct them. Colossians 3, 18, 21, speaking to wives and husbands, says, Wives, submit yourselves to your husband as is fitting in the Lord. What did it say to the children? It is right in the Lord. To the wives, it is fitting in the Lord. Husbands, love your wives and do not be harsh with them. Children, obey your parents in everything. For this pleases the Lord. It is right, it is fitting, it is pleasing to the Lord. Fathers, do not embitter your children or they will become discouraged. First Peter. Chapter 3, this one we all have read many times. It says, I'm reading from verse 1 to verse 7, First Peter chapter 3. Wives, likewise, be submissive to your own husbands, that even if some do not obey the way, they without a way may be warned by the conduct of their wives when they observe your chaste conduct accompanied by fear. Do not let your adornment be merely outward, arranging the hair, wearing gold, or putting on fine apparel. Rather, let it be hidden person of the heart with the incorruptible beauty of a gentle and a quiet spirit. Ladies, it is not the extreme 
uh, philosophies that you hear out there that are going to fix what you are dealing with in your home. It is not what feminist says. It is not going for the kill. The Bible says it is the incorruptible beauty of a gentle and a quiet spirit which is very precious in the sight of God. For in this manner, in former times, the holy, men, the holy women who trusted in God also adorned themselves, being submissive to their own husband, as Sarah obeyed Abraham, calling him Lord. Those daughters, whose daughters are you, if you do good and are not afraid with any terror? Husbands, likewise, dwell with your wives with understanding giving honor to the wife as to the weaker vessel, and as being heirs together of the grace of life, that your prayers may not be hindered. You know, we will labor these issues, but listen to this idea that husbands, many love raising hands and praying and are robust, but the Bible says, really is no point when there is no honor towards your wife because your prayers will be hindered. I'm reminded of a song that I used to hear when I was young. It's a Sutu song, loosely translated. It says, some men, some husbands are really surprising. Outside there, they are gentle like sheep. But when they get home, they're ravenous like lions. And in the same manner, some women are like ravenous lionesses. And they produce children. Such environments produce delinquent children. And I'm saying to us, saying we are no longer asking the right questions about how to obey God and how to bring him glory. And we can repeat all these teachings about everything, about money, about holiness, about. but if the soil is not right, the soil of the heart, the seed will always be eaten by birds. It will grow with the weeds that are in that heart. We are unfortunately now asking, how does this suit me? How do I feel? How does it align with my preference? When we look at grace now and faith, they are apparently only for provision now, not for holy living. And I want to say to you and me, I wish I could preach a happy, you know. I'm happy. I have joy deep in my heart. In the same token, I have sorrow when I look at the same heart that has become a good tree that produces bad fruit. And I'm rejoicing over the fact that God is speaking to me, is speaking to you. The word of God is God's breath. His Holy Spirit inspired to correct, to rebuke, to train, to make us equipped so that we are mature, we are lacking nothing, so that we can rejoice in who we are becoming and not only what the cross of Jesus Christ has done for us. So I'm happy when I hear these words, sanctify Jesus in your heart. So as I pray, I'm praying with Hope 
with expectancy, with faith, then many of us will pause and say, I'm making wrong decisions because my heart has become hard and calloused. I'm having this attitude towards people, towards my spouse, towards my children, towards my parents, towards my employees, towards my family, my brothers, my next of kin, because something of the softness of a godly heart is lost in me. But I'm going to commit to Jesus to restore that heart. So won't you just pray with me? Heavenly Father, I thank you that when we started with this talk, our hearts were very hard, many of us. But as we hear your word, I thank you that it will come like rain, like the dew of Hermon, and it will come to our hearts, soften them, and allow you, the seed of your word, to germinate into something beautiful. And where pride and anger and shame and guilt and arrogance had hardened the soil of our hearts, Father, your word will accomplish in us the softening, the cultivating of a godly pursuit, holy passion, holiness. And that, Lord, throughout this week, we are going to strive for something beyond us, beyond the flesh and ungodliness. We are going to strive to conform to the likeness of Jesus Christ. That in whatever we do, in word and in deed, we will do it all in his name. And I pray for those who don't know you. May you speak to their hearts. That the word is in their hearts and in their tongues. That if this morning they can just open their hearts and say, Jesus, I believe that you died and you rose again. And that I confess you as my Lord and Savior. And they open their hearts. They invite you. The Holy Spirit will come and make Jesus their reality. I pray that you give us a release and a breakthrough in every area of our lives. That in all that we do and touch, we will bring you glory this week. In Jesus' name, amen. Let's just go this week and bring the Father glory in Jesus' name. Have a nice week.